you know, I want to talk obviously about your time in music. Of course, through the last 45 years, you've worked with Major Iggy Pop and The Faces, to name a few. No, no, you're wrong now. Oh, go on. They've all worked with me. They've all worked with Glenn, yes. <laughs> I, did, I did some gig with, um, we were playing some festival up in Norfolk a couple of years back. And Al Slicker started playing me the first time I introduced him. I said he's played with John Lennon, David Bowie, and he lucky, and now he's playing with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <It's looked> <laughs> <laughs> but of course, I do want to start with the with the Sex Pistols. Um, you worked in Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood shop yeah. Sex. So tell us well, about it. Was, it was called Let It Rock originally. It was a teddy boy shop and then it became, it just for some reason, we all individually gravitated there. I was fortunate in the main, and I got some money out of it by working there. And it, it kind of transpired. It was the hippest place to be on a Saturday afternoon in mid-70s London. And nearly anybody who did anything from the punk scene in London anyway, kind of passed through its doors at some point or the other, you know. That's it. it, just became like a big social hub, didn't it? And like it was, you know, it was the, it epitomised the movement. Yeah, yeah, and the trousers were pretty good and all, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was a good, very steep learning curve about, about um, you know, life outside the normal nine to five existence. And you say it was a teddy boy shop. Were you ever a teddy boy before you were a punk or...? Not really, but the reason I went down there, because for some reason I was interested in buying a pair of brothel creepers, and when I actually got there, although they had them, I couldn't afford them. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, ended, I, I was spending a little bit too long in the place, you know, for how much money I had in my pocket. And the guy said, well, can I help you? And I said, well, you don't need any really work here, do you? And the guy, it wasn't Malcolm, it was some other bloke who I only ever met that once. He said, well, as it happens, I'm leaving. Give this guy a call. And it was Mount McLaren. And I started the following weekend. So there you go. That's an in, if ever you've heard of one. Yeah. And also things, lots of people would come in. And um, I, Ian Hunter came with Mick Ronson once. And I sold him a pair of pink loafers. And um, he had very, very small feet, like size six feet. And I had to get all the boxes out to get them down. We found him a pair, and then I'm wrapping them up. And next thing I hear this noise, turn around, is Mick Ronson up the ladder. I said, what are you doing up there? He said, I'm putting them back. I said, you can't do that. You're Mick Ronson, and that's my job. He said, nah, it's all right. <laughs> he did that. And then <laughs> he, um, after that period, and it was just before I met him again and he produced the Rich Kids, he played with Bob Dylan. And there's a movie which is about four and a half hours long and kind of four and a quarter hours too long um, called Ronaldo and Clara. And it's a bit sort of wacky. It's, it's like on the Rolling Thunder tour. And um, somebody else plays Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan plays somebody else and Joan Baez plays somebody else and somebody else plays Joan Baez. It's all daft. And Ronson in one scene plays a security guard, but do you know what he's wearing? He's wearing the pink loafers that I sold him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, up on the and silver I screen. In the cinema, I went, oh, I sold him, and everybody goes, shh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Mm -hmm. um, and as we're talking, of course, the pistols define a movement, and then 
as we spoke just before we started the interview, I'm based near Manchester. Can you tell me about um, your memories of the Pistols gig down at the Free Trade Hall in 76? Yeah, the only thing with that is that we played there twice and um, I get confused between the two times we played there. Um, we played there, the Buzzcocks organised it because they wanted to, su to, su to support a band. Um, but they weren't ready the first time round. that. I remember I was navigating when we went there and the road looked a bit shorter and also happened go, to go through a town called Matlock where I'd never been to. So we went that way, but of course it's like an A road as opposed to motorway. And maybe it was about two hours late. And then I was up for the eye jump because Malcolm hadn't told us that he'd organised some radio interview thing. And yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's just little things like that I remember. And I remember, you know, Mr. Buck, the Buzzcocks were um, supporting, and it's when Howard DeVoto was in the band, Pete Shelley was a guitarist, and he only had half a guitar. And I said, What happened to the other half? She cut it off, and he went, No, it fell off. <laughs> <laughs> it's this cheap Winfield guitar from Woolworths, yeah. From but they were Woolworths. great. I loved them. I loved the Buzzcocks. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant Manchester band. So you were the navigator then in the early days of the Sex Pistols I, up and I, down. So I don't think they let me navigate after. <laughs> <laughs> it was the driver. That's what I want to know. Oh, it was this guy, Dave Goodman, who was our, um, our roadie. He had the PA and then, then he sort of produced our early demos. You said probably send his name on, on some of the records. He got credited with producing some stuff. Yeah, it was him and this other guy called Kim Thraves, who was like a really good looking hippie, but also looked a bit like Cat Weasel. <laughs> that, that was like a double act. They run this little PA company and they took us under their wing and we they had a van and all that. Yeah, it was all kind of good eggs, you know. Yeah, of course. Well, we're going to hear a tune now and it's from your recent solo album, Good To Go. Oh, and which one are you going to play? Well, it's a proper stomper. I love this one, mate. Sexy Beast. Oh, you like that one? Okay, good. I do like it. Did you ever see the Ray Winston film, by the way, of the same um, title? Do you know what I did? But only after I'd written the song. Right. And the only thing is, is Sexy Beast is like a, the same we've said in London for years. You know, take the mickey out of something. Oh, you sexy beast, you, you know. So <laughs> I didn't nick it from the movie. But it's a great movie and I loved the bit where the horrible actor, what's his name? Ben, ben Kingsley. Yeah, when he pisses on their floor. Yes! <laughs> and I wonder whether that was in the script or whether he just did it. Yeah. And he's like that in the old way through. You're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. Yeah. Yes. So we're going to hear Sexy Bees now and it's over to you, Glenn, to introduce it. All right. Well, here's a good little rockabilly workout with Slim Jim Phantom on the drums, Jim Lyle on the bass guitar. And El Slick on lead guitar, and I strum and sing sexy beef. Wow. 
to go was released in 2018 with an all-star band as you've just mentioned Mr. Earl Slick who played on countless Bowie albums and John Lennon's Double Fantasy oh. tell, tell us about the recording process behind the album um, we just spent most of the we recorded it well basically I did the album because um, I've been doing loads of acoustic shows and I was thinking about doing an album and, you know, when you've got like 12 or 14 songs going around your head, you can't think straight unless you get them out somewhere or other. And I was thinking, how am I going to go about this, this, this utilising the fact that I play acoustic quite a lot? And then I went to see Bob Dylan and he was tripe, to be honest, because he, he couldn't recognise one song. Um, and he looked like he didn't want to be there. So I concentrated on the band and the band were fantastic. This was the, the Albert Hall. And I, was, I had a good seat just right at the side of the stage overlooking it. And he had Charlie Sexton on guitar and uh, Tony Garnier playing double bass for a lot of it. And I don't know who the drummer was, but he played a lot of the songs on brushes and things. And I thought, oh, that's kind of quite good. You know, it's kind of like rock, rocking, but not too loud. So it doesn't overshadow the acoustic. I thought, who do I know who can do that? Oh, Slim Jim Phantom because he's only got half a drum kit. So I asked him <laughs> if he'd be up for doing it. 
and I, he said he'd love to, and because I'd done some stuff with Dead Men Walking with him, and um, I said, any ideas for a guitarist? And he said, well, how about El Slick, who's a mate of his? And I'd done something, I'd done a project with El Slick in Clem Burke a few years before that, with this guy called Keenan Dufty, who's like a fashion designer, but sings a little bit. And I got on well with him. So it all sort of fell into place, really, you know. And I didn't want to play bass on it because I know I can do that. And it's good to have somebody else's input. So we recorded it upstate um, New York in a place called Clubhouse Studios in Rhinebeck. And we just jammed the songs through. And, you know, when they started coming together, we did it. Recorded all our bits. I came back to England, did all the vocals with Jim Lowe, who does all the stereophonic stuff. Oh, right, yeah. And sent it all back to New York again. And Mario McNaughty, who'd engineered it, um, he mixed it. And Mario, Earl had worked with, with Mario with Bowie, so he suggested it, and he's good. And in fact, we've actually made another album last year. It's not out yet because of lockdown and stuff. But we've actually made another album um, with Earl's on it. But Slim Jim was in the States and my live band playing it with Chris Musto. And I've got a few guest people on it as well. In fact, I I've, got, I've got Norman Watroy on quite a lot of it. Um, oh, nice. And um, there's this guy, Hot Eye, who um, is, is like the Japanese Jeff Beck. And he did the, um, he did the Kill Bill theme tune. It's funny, I went to see oh, him. really? He was, went to see him and he came out and he started playing this song. And I, I went with with um, Neil X, who's a mate of mine, and who knows him, knows, knows Hot Eye. And he came out and he played a song. And I, I turned to Neil and I said, what are they playing um, the Queen's Park Rangers coming on to music for? And he said, don't be daft. I said, well, it is. And he said, no, but it might be. But it's also the Kill Bill theme tune. <laughs> Hot Eye wrote it. And I went, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> he'll, do, he'll do like three nights at the Budokan in Japan. <laughs> yes. So he, play, he plays on the track and he like Nex is on the track. and yeah. So it's good. So it's a bit different from the Good to Go album. There's no point doing the same album twice. Um, no, yeah. definitely not. I love but, that yeah, I'm doing stuff all the time and I've been recording at home today. I've got a new song on the go. Um, there's always something. And then I did a track pitch and bass on something for um, a mate of mine um, Graham oh, I forget his, forget his surname Graham he was the guitarist in Haircut 100 he sent me something so there's things to do there's not necessarily money in it but um, you know lots of musicians like doing things and keeping the creative juices flowing it happens you know and finding ways around it and also I think we're going to have to because of bloody Brexit you know well that's it isn't it yeah so well taken is it but I'm livid I'm, yeah I'm, no I am as well yeah it's, I am it's uh, yeah it's such a shame what can we do about it and if it weren't for Covid I think everybody would be on the streets you know yeah I do I do as well yeah I will be and I think they know that and I think it's it, 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 an half handy for them you know, and last year I was really going to move, but we've been locked down, you know, and I'm older now. You've got to be, you've got to be um, a bit careful when you're older. So Yeah. Where were you thinking of moving to? Well, I, I did have a place lined up in France and in both my, in Paris, it was quite a lot of money. I didn't really, I wanted to, but I didn't see why I should have to leave my own country because of a bunch of Tory Herberts. Yeah. So it was that. And then, 
both my sons came down with COVID just before Christmas, so I had to kind of hang in there for a bit. Then, then yeah, I, lost, course, I yeah. lost the right to remain thing there, but it's not going to be the end of the world. That there will be ways around it. I've been looking into it, and it's going to have to change. They just can't stop a whole slew of people being out of travel and work. You know, no. you probably know, but the, the entertainment industry is worth five times the fishing industry to the to the exchequer. You know, so. yeah, that's it. And it's obviously, like you say, with the, the hit it's taken over the last twelve months, anyway, just because you know, obviously, everything with COVID and yeah, it's uh, it's awful to think about, isn't it? Yeah, but we are where we are. So um. yeah. So that's, that's my little moan, but um, <laughs> now you can uh, you can feel free to uh, to wear any views you my want. My new song I've got on on the go at the moment is it's called Head on a Stick, and that's one I want to see somebody's head on the stick after all this. Nice. Well, when it's ready, yeah. give us a, give us a, a first listen. <laughs> yeah. So, um, talking about your album, then is there any release date for it, or are you just waiting to see how I things pan out? We did have somebody lined up, but all these sort of smaller to medium-sized labels, they want to promote it and they want a tour to go with it. And while I'm up for doing a tour, there's no tours to be had at the moment, you know, for no. COVID reasons and for Brexit reasons. So it's, it's all a bit of a catch-22 at the moment. Well, I was um, I was checking your band out on YouTube and I saw that last year you were going to play a little place up the road from me called uh, Ozzle Twistle. I was. I must have a twistle. Never heard of it. It's um, it's in Lancashire. It's like the top end of Lancashire. You were booked to play there, um, according to your little what tour. What was the club called? I, I can't remember. To be honest, I think my um, we did a uh, club called the Salty Dog, um, a while back. Right. Whereabouts was that? That's that's um, uh, well, it's near Manchester. Um, right, okay. It's yeah. out of Manchester. Well, between Manchester and Warrington. Right, okay. Uh, well, next time you're up this neck of the woods, I'm going to have to check you out. It's near Sandback, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's out in oh, Cheshire. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a really nice place. I enjoyed it. Um, but, yeah. But, I mean, this this year I did a tour. We did about 10 dates. I was over here. That, and then all this started happening this time last year and then I was supposed to be going to the States and I'd been asked to open up for like just a solo acoustic thing for the Dropkick Murphys in their big St. Patrick's Day show in Boston in America. I was going to oh, do wow. that. And then I had sort of 10 or 12 solo shows in Canada and up and down the East Coast and I was being offered more and then I was going to sit in on the mixing of the album that we just made and I couldn't do any of that and I, and I had a work permit which are hard to come by, uh, but that's now run out. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a bit of a funny old year, you know. It certainly has. Well, I've heard many stories um, of why you left the Sex Pistols, and but something I didn't know until recently is that you played with Sid Vicious at his last gig in the UK. Yeah. So were you two actually good pals then? No, good pals, but we were neighbours, and we used to drink in the same pub, in the area that I still live in. Um, and we were sitting in the pub and the, the pistols thing had sort of fallen apart for everybody by then. And Sid said to me, well, you know, everybody seems to think we're enemies, but we're sitting here. Can't we do something about it? And I said, well, just do a gig. And he went, well, that's a good idea. Who's going to be in it? 
I said, well, I don't know, but I'm going to get Steve New, who was the guitarist in the Rich Kids. Could ask Rat Scabies, and he wasn't actually in the damned at that time. He'd sort of fallen out with him, and he had a side project called the White Cats. So that's why we, we called it the Vicious White Kids, because it was me and Steve from the Rich Kids, Rat from the White Cats, and Sid Vicious, so the Vicious. Right, and he said, well, who's going to play bass? And I said, well, I'm certainly not going to sing. <laughs> said, who's going to sing then, huh? I said, Sid, look, I play bass and you sing. And he went, oh, all right, I'll get it. You know, And we just had a few rehearsals and we sold out electric ballroom. We, we decided on a Monday and did it on the Friday or something like that. It was quite just a fun thing. But yeah, you know what? That. The guy who was a really big will in the music business called Rob Dickens. He was like head of Warner Brothers over here. Um, and I went to see him many years later with some idea for something and he went nah, it's not really for me at the moment he said but you know what the best thing you ever had was wasn't it and I said well the pistols and he went no I said what then he said the vicious white kids he said it was so exciting and I said well why didn't you sort of say something in science he said well you was all too out of it <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't really argue with that you know no <laughs> no you can't <laughs> and then a couple of years after, so 1980, you worked with Iggy Pop on his album Soul. Well, 79, I did that actually. Um, the album might not come out to 1980, but I, 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 I did the tour for New Valleys, which was his album before then. Um, and that was after the Rich Kids thing had sort of fallen apart because Midge and Rusty wanted to become New Romantics, and I didn't. Um, and the guy who played bass on the album was going to play second guitar on the tour. So they were short of a bass player. And John Giddens, who was my mate, my agent, and was the Rich Kids agent, and Iggy's agent, knew that the Rich Kids thing was no more. And I think he suggested that they call me, which they did, and we got on well. Next thing, I'm on tour around Europe with them. Did some writing for, for an album, which we recorded at Rockfield in Wales. Met Bowie, he came down because he was big mates with Jim, with Iggy. And then I went to the States. First time I went to the States, the second gig was in New York. We played the Palladium on Halloween night. And back then, nobody really celebrated Halloween there. The whole audience was in fancy dress stuff. There was about 4,000 people there. The support band was the Cramps. And backstage was Debbie Harry dressed as a witch who gave me a kiss on the cheek. That's the first time in New York. I thought, well, I'm going to like this. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> first time in a Big Apple and you were taking a piece right out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hear another tune off the record now. Hook yeah. You In. And there's some serious guitars on this one. Which one? Hook You In. Hooking You. Yes, Hooking You. Yes. Yeah. This one's my sort of tribute to... Um, kind of uh, screaming Jay Hawkins you know I put a spell on you there's a great line in the song oh I, it's a beautiful song yeah it, it, I don't know about beautiful but it's fantastic I think <laughs> it's one of the best vocal performances ever yeah. his version of I put a spell on you but it's got a great line in it I don't care if you don't want me I'm yours anyhow and I thought okay so you know it's kind of like a bluesy stomper and stuff I think the blues is a bit of an untapped vein at the moment so you reckon that's that's an avenue you might explore a little bit more? Well, I think I kind of have as much as I I will do, you know, with hooking you for a start. You know. Yeah. So if you're in a pub when we can, of course, and you've got quid in your pocket, 
and you just walk over to the jukebox, which tune would you like to put on on a Saturday night in your local pub? But me? Yeah. What Of what song? Any song. You can just pick any song to throw on the jukebox. Saturday night, first night back in the pub. No, it's... Um... It all depends what side of bed you get out, but <laughs> not normally go wrong with green onions. We did like one lockdown gig in in the September October at the Electric Ballroom, funnily enough, and I played there. All oh, right, okay. And they, but the music they was playing wasn't great, and I just said to the sound, we called up the sound guy before we went on. I said, put on green onions, and it just changed the whole mood. Oh, I'm sorry, Rangers nearly scored then. Do you know what we've been all over Watford at the moment? Anyway, um, yeah, uh, Green Onions, Booker Turney MGs. So, Lovely. Yeah. And I you're out. The coolest track ever. It's not really a song because it's an instrumental. But, um, I'm going to have to check that out. I must admit, I don't know you that. don't one. know I'm, Green Onions? I don't. I'm going to have to check that oh, out. Yeah, you go down, down. Oh, yeah, I'm gone. No, I might. It's an instrumental. And, and the best way, have you ever seen the movie Mean Streets? Yeah, yeah, what a film and, that is. There's a scene, and I actually saw this in Paris a long time ago when it came out. Um, there's a scene where there's a big shootout on a bridge. Yeah, yeah. It's really gory, and the bloke who's driving gets shot in the hand, and his hands are like skidding on the steering wheel and all that. But Green Onions comes on. It's fantastic. It's really... Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I love those. I love those seventies films. Like, like you say, Mean Streets. I watched um, the French Connection the other week, and what a film that is! Yeah. Real gritty New York. Yeah. Gene, Gene Atman's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So your album had a, and it was a Scott Walker cover, a beautiful version. I thought of Montage Terrace. Yeah, Montague Terrace. Yeah. And that's a long way from God Save the Queen. <laughs> well, it is, but, you know, I, I'd like to throw a curveball into an album that um, makes people think a little bit, you know, and I like the lyrics to the song. I, I got into Scott Walker. I mean, I knew him with the Walker Brothers and stuff, but he I'm a big fan of a guy called Jacques Brel. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Bowie, I got into Jacques Brel via the Alex Harvey band who did a version of a song called Next. And Bowie did the Port of Amsterdam and My Death and um, Mark Armand in later years did Jackie. That's a Jack Brel song. Um, but I found an album, Scott Walker sings Jack Brel. And the thing with Jack Brel, all the songs were in French. Yeah, he also wrote Nimakite Pa, which is If You Go Away, you know, so, you know, big ballad kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a real edge to his lyrics. But the Scott Walker album does what it says on the tin. It says Scott Walker sings... Jack Brell, and um, I got into Scott Walker a bit more, and then I found an album of his when he tries to write a song like Jack Brell, and it succeeds admirably. And it's one of the songs on it is Montague Terrace. So I thought I'd have a go at that. And sometimes when you listen to a song, it just makes you pick up the guitar and you want to learn how it goes. Um, and that's what happened, really. And it's kind of quite funny, you know, sometimes I do a punk gig and do that in the middle. And um, all the punks who just shut up and pay attention. It's quite good. <laughs> Love it. Well, I was really surprised when I heard your cover of it. I've got to admit, like, I was listening to the album and I thought it was a stunning version. Yeah, and it was quite funny. When I, I wasn't even going to put it on the album. It, when we was recording, um, Slim Jim broke the snare skin. 
So I was just playing the guitar and I was thinking maybe I'll just put it down because I didn't have a recording me doing it while I was in a decent studio. And I started playing it while he was fixing the snare and Al said to me, he said, what's that? I said, it's this Scott Walker song I do. He said, I've got a part for it, can we do it? So we put it down. And then in the corner of the studio, there was a pair of timpani kettle drums and I could see Slim Jim looking at them. I went, go on then. <laughs> so I've got Slim Jim playing kettle drums on it. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, you know, I like what Al did on it. He, you know, he does a lot of Ebo stuff, which like you would have on it, Heroes or something like that. So it sort of takes the place of the string section. Yeah, I'm not pleased with the album. I think there's a lot going on for a bloke like me, you know. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of light and shade on the album. There's a lot of contrast in there between the songs. Like we were talking about before, Sexy Beast, a real stumper. And a Monty yeah, I mean, that's and... more of a fun track than anything else, you know. Yeah. But that's actually in that movie. Um, well, I still haven't seen it yet. I've got, somebody gave me a Blu-ray disc of it, but I haven't got a Blu-ray player. <laughs> it, was, it was that movie Fisherman's Friends. It's, it's, a, it's, it's in a scene in that, I think, on the jukebox when they go into a bar. So there you go. So is that going to be a lockdown purchase and a Blu-ray Blu player? Uh, no, I think what I'll probably do is just moan about it for the next five years and still wait <laughs> on the telly. I do that quite a lot. You know? Yeah. Because you know what I found in life? If you can't have a moan, moaning's free. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's a British trait, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so was your music taste always varied then, even before the Pistols? Yeah. I've always like. I think if you go through, in fact, I did a thing like this yesterday with some bloke in the states, and you, the old premise was that I get out my old records, and he gets out Israel records, and we sort of compare a record each. And I got to, I thought it was just singles, so I was going through my old singles box, and it was a good thing actually because a mate of mine came around my house, this guy Andy, he works at record fairs. And he came around once and he was really dismayed with me that I got all these good old singles so I didn't have them in bags. And when I was a kid, I always thought records were like sweets. You know, you have to get the wrapper off them as quickly as possible and throw it away so you can get them. Yeah. yeah. He, he sent me a box of like 100 paper white sleeves. And by doing this thing I had to do yesterday, I finally got round to putting them in sleeves and going through them all. But yeah, some weird things, you know, from T-Rex to to El Bostic, to Paul Anker, Emerald Ford and the Checkmates, Dave Clark Five. Dave Clark Five. Still got, still got my Beatles Twist and Shout EP, which I probably was the first thing, but Kinks, you really got me. Faces, um, um, uh, uh, Paul or Richard, which was their last single. Loads of stuff, you know. Yeah, that's some record collection. And when you were talking then, the Dave Clark Five, don't they play? Don't they play them at um, your rivals, Crystal Palace, when they score? I don't really know. I'm sure they play the Dave Clark Five. You know what? I got invited to Crystal Palace in season two, back by Gary Crowley, who's a DJ, who's mates with the owner. And I and I could have been in the director's box, but I knew he was going to have a drop, and I didn't want to go and have the piss taken out of me. And it's just <laughs> we lost four 0 or something. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Well, if you could go... Oh, here's a funny little story, though. I was many years ago, there was a pub near Malcolm's shop called The Roebuck, where people used to hang out. And I was just sitting there one lunchtime with Chrissy Ind, who'd not long been in England. We were sitting there having a drink. 
and who walked in, you probably don't know this, is Mike Smith, who was a singer and keyboard player in the day of Clark Five. <laughs> Chrissy started banging on her desk. Which was the drum beats of bits and pieces. And he got the ump because he thought we were taking the piss out of us and he went out. But we wasn't because we was Dave Clark Five fans. But I said to Chrissy, I'm surprised you know the Dave Clark Five are being from America. And she said, You're kidding me, they were bigger than the Beatles in the States. Really? Yeah. Ooh. At one stage, you know. Yeah. Jesus. All part of the British invasion. Yeah. In fact, more probably more of the British invasion than the Beatles. You know, wow. So talking about and, old... and, and, and how about this one? You, you probably want silly stories. Go on. About four or five years ago, I went to the London Palladium um, to see the opening of there was there was um, a Frank Sinatra thing on live. Now how did that work? Well, they had a live big band orchestra. They had all these dancers and they had two screens at the side of the stage with Frank Sinatra on it. And they'd, um, they'd somehow taken the music out, still had his vocal. And it was really, really good. And I thought it would run longer and longer, but it didn't. Um, but there was a little do afterwards and I went to the do and standing in a little trio was... Um, Nancy Sinatra wow. who I'd met before via Clem um, Stevie Van Zandt <laughs> and Dave Clark and all three of them were having a night out together <laughs> <laughs> I love that Nancy Sinatra these boots are made for walking yeah. <laughs> so um, she's you know lovely I've met her a couple of times now and I met her twice before by Clem because he played in her band for a bit and I met her, I got introduced and then I went to see her about a year later and kind of got invited backstage and she went, oh, hello, Glenn. And this time I said to her, hello, Nancy, because I was with somebody and I thought she'd go, hello, Glenn. She went, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Dave Clark lives near me and there's sort of like a slightly upmarket shop called Cook, you know, it's like, upmarket quality um, frozen foods to take home. Yeah. And the last time I see Dave Clark, he was bending in the freezer and all I could see was his arse sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> After his chicken fillets. Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know something? When we talk about Frank Sinatra there, um, I mean, wow. But I've always thought like Strangers in the Night, that'd be a great song to get every working done on the acoustic guitar. Maybe, yeah. I tell you, when I played with Biggie, um, I don't know if we did it over here, but when we was in the States, we did set him up Joe, or quarter to three. Yeah, yeah, quarter yeah. Quarter to three, there's no one in the joint except you and me. You and me. sang it great, and I sort of played the bass a bit like the bass on Albatross. And he played guitar on that tour in the States with Brian James, and he brought the house down with his solo on that one. Oh, beautiful. It was good. You know, you know, the oranges aren't the only fruit. A good song is a good song. Exactly. It could be in any idiom. And, um, um, yeah, there you go. You know. I share that mantra. I, I love music dating back to Billy Holiday, Frank Sinatra, to 
you know, all the way through, like you just mentioned before in your record collection, the Kinks, the Beatles, the Stones, the Pistols, um, and then obviously the newer stuff as well, you know. Yeah, so, but then I like Anthony Newley, and um, he's written some great songs. Do you know Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. And he, and he wrote that song. What's that big band that Matt Bellum is in? I always forget their name. Muse. Muse, right. I quite like them. Yeah, good um, band. And they did a version of Feeling Good that Nina Simone had done, but it was actually written by Anthony Newley, and I think he wrote it for one of the songs for the soundtrack for Porgy and Bess. Ah, right, or okay. Maybe not Paul. what's that other movie? Um, that the Candyman's in, you know, that Candyman can. Yeah, yeah. Um, that Sammy Davis Jr. did. And it's a great clip on YouTube. It's about 20 minutes long. And it's on the Burt Bacharach show in the States. And it's Anthony Newley and Sammy Davis Jr. doing a live vocal duet to the, all the songs that Anthony Newley had written. It's fantastic. You should check it out. It's great. The chat. There's this real interplay between them and they're joking, but singing. Um, yeah, singing really well. It's great. And not only that, he married Joan Collins when she was in her prime. Ooh, jo Joan oh, Collins. She was on um, the Jonathan Ross show just before Christmas, and they showed a clip of her with Paul Newman in a film in like 1958. And like she was, she was hot in her prime. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Yes. Oh, well, here's the funny thing. People say, "What's the best gig you ever?" Ask me, what's the best gig you ever went to? Well, this is. Oh my! I can't believe you just said that to me, Glenn, because that is. My next question, my final question is if you could go back in time anywhere to see any gig, which one would you choose? Well, so, well I don't know if I go back and see the same thing twice, but... Oh, well. <laughs> Come on, no. There's quite a few on my list, right? Um, Humble Pie in Hyde Park, when Peter Frampton was in the band. Wow. That was kind of cool, supporting Grand Funk Railroad, and they, they blew them off stage. I saw James Brown in Chicago. Oh, my uh, God. Oh, the hard, hardest working the days when they were still super flies, mm. and I was probably the only white bloke in the audience. Uh, really, in the call, um, lots of things. But in more recent years, somebody said to me, "What are you doing tonight?" I said, "I don't know." And they said, "There's something going on at Selfridges." I said, what do you mean? There's something going on at Selfridges? But there's something going on at Selfridges. Come down now. Selfridges is a big department store in London, and they used yeah, to have. Yeah. On the ground floor in the left hand corner, like the the gents bit, you know, where you could go and buy string vests and socks and and I don't know about you, I prefer a nightshirt to gym jams for when it's really cold. Yeah. Stuff like that. And they shut it down and they was doing it up. And I had the ump about that. Because although I didn't always go and rush and buy things, it, it's good to know it's there if you want it. And it was they turned it in all swanky and it was after the store shut and they had like a soiree going on and it's all kind of things you don't need these days, you know, like Chrome Arts and Louis Vuitton bags and expensive yeah, yeah. took for tossers with 10 bobbers as opposed to <laughs> And so there's like sort of drinks and canapes going on. And then the guy said, right, everybody, clapped his hand, he said, right, everybody, he said, thank you for coming along to our grand opening of this thing. And I don't know if you know this but we've actually called this section of the store the wonder room and he was standing in a red in front of a red velvet curtain and he said without further ado we've got a very big surprise for you he pulled the curtain back 
Stevie Wonder. Oh my God. In a, in a solo set, right? In Selfridges in the corner where the Wincy at night dresses, nightgowns used to be. <laughs> and I'm now, I'm about six foot from, it was fantastic. And then not only Jesus. that, I heard some women singing behind me all the words to the song. And I turned around, who's that? Because they were pretty good. It's Cilla Black and Joan Collins having a night out. Oh. <laughs> that was a pretty good gig, I'm telling you that. And it was nothing to get him. <laughs> freebies are always the best. Yeah. So that was kind of good. I love a freebie. I've never had a Stevie Wonder style freebie, yeah. but... <laughs> and, and do you know who I went with? This girl invited me. Um, it's just a mate. And her name's Elizabeth Conboy. And she does all the voiceovers for Channel 4 and stuff. Okay, so okay, yeah. like we're talking to her, you know, and it sounds like you're listening to Channel 4 at the same time. <laughs> or ever, so, so it sounds like she's going to announce that Countdown's on next. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> the Financial Times, you know. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. <laughs> wow. Well, Glenn, absolute legend and top man for giving up the first half of QPR because I know that you uh, you want to watch that game so thank you very much mate um, so there you go so I don't know quite what we've spoken about a load of old rubbish but what's wrong with that what's wrong with that yeah so thank you for your kind interest and stuff but um, yeah you know if you want just tell people to check that out on Spotify or buy it it's kind of good certainly will in the can which I don't know what it's called yet um, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, support your local musician. Definitely. And also check out, guys, you've got to check out Glenn's band on YouTube because like yeah, you mentioned and, before. And you know what it is on YouTube? I don't have many videos up because people shoot things that you don't really have much kind of quality control over. And I am a little one-man operation with my thing. But there is a good video up there. We did a cover of Farrah Williams' Happy. Ah, right, yeah. It's got Slim Jim and Earl in it and Jim Lowe. That's kind of, and we shot it at Mick Jones's little rehearsal studio. That's kind of worthwhile. Yeah, cool. I've not checked that out. So I will, I'll have a look at that. I've, um, I've seen a couple of interviews that you did in the States uh, and a couple of acoustics that you've done there up on YouTube. And well, all right. I don't, do you know what? I hate watching myself. No, they're really all good, right, mate. All I do is picking holes in it. and So, you know. But, but I do like the happy one. That, that's kind of good. Yeah, I'm going to have a look at that. And um, also, uh, there's a couple of tunes that you did at the 100 Club. Okay. Yeah. But recently? Uh, yeah, I think it was probably about two or three years ago. All right. And they're up well, I do also have a website, glennmatlock.co.uk, that there are some videos, on, and then you can follow me on that as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll head over to the website and we're just going to hear one more of your tunes before we go. And it's called Keep On Pushing. Tell us a little uh, bit about this one. Well, I think that's what we've got to do these days. And I think it's the same as always. The message is in the song. The message for today is the same as always. Well, it goes something like that. Definitely. And that's a mantra that, yeah, we all need to adhere to. And uh, Got to keep on pushing. Because if you keep on pushing, one day it might just be enough. Keep on pushing Keep on pushing Keep on pushing
Halloween. 